You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Last week on the Glass Cannon Podcast. I finally was able to hit you with the rock mount. Of all things. Its plan is to probably fly away with you and maybe just fucking throw you over the ledge. With the paladin inches away from death. Nestor just lights up the bird and kills it. So the rock falls. This gargantuan bird just crumbles to the ground. Fate had a different plan in store for the heroes. Standing in melee with this giant, he is going to draw out Roselight. Natural 20! Oh my god! Wow! But even as good seemed to triumph over evil. 60 points of damage. Uh... He's dead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow! An ancient power was awakened by the Slayer. And he looks up at the others, and he smiles with his big, tooth-missing grin, and gives a wink, and he chops off his right hand. <laughs> the adventure continues. And he reaches into his magical quiver and pulls out a metallic looking hand <gasps> what oh, and it magically grafts onto the stump of his wrist oh. no Internet people, it's a beautiful day in New York City, as evidenced by looking out the window of our studio. Listen, we here at the Glass Cannon Podcast, we're just five guys. We have tricked you, the listener, into believing that we're close friends. (laughs) And we've been tricking you for seven years. Fact of the matter is, we were cast, kind of like how NSYNC was brought together. (laughs) Exactly like in this house. Yes, this <laughs> same people. Shady manager came up to me and was like, "Find four other dudes to make a super group to create podcasts." Can I be Lance Bass? You are Lance Bass. Thank you, you will always be Lance Bass. Thank you. Um, no, but the point is, we are all very different. We are uh, wildly different, although we have some similarities. Our tastes are very different, and even though there are similarities there. Our tastes are very different. However, today <laughs> I, knew where this was going. I smelled you coming a mile away. You got so close. There was a moment when I saw the stars about to align. Uh, <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe's wife has been uh, shaking our uh, significant others down to buy cookies uh, for Joe's daughter's Girl Scout troop, uh, and so Joe brought in some Girl Scout cookies um, for me today. And I had told Joe. I buy my cookies from Nick Lowe's daughter. <laughs> Get your filthy cookies away from me. I uh, know. Uh, so we got some pity cookies from Joe. And we split our order exactly down the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we just it came up like, oh, well, what's your favorite cookie? And uh, Joe and, and Grant and Skid and I all like at the same time said Samoas. We all realized we all like Samoas. We were like, we were shocked that the four of us liked yeah. the same thing as the best thing. Yeah. Never happened before. Never <laughs> in seven years has that ever happened. 
Yes. <laughs> no exaggeration. <laughs> then Matthew comes out of the bathroom, toilet paper probably on his shoe, and we ask him, just waiting, waiting for this moment so we could stand up and hug. <laughs> and we said, Matthew, what's your favorite cookie? And he said, Thin Mints. We were representing. <laughs> what are you nine? I mean, to be come fair, on. There have been many, many, many moments over the seven years where all of us, but you, agreed on the thing, Troy. Usually, it was game related. I don't remember that at all. We were, you ever called the forum? This is the craziest, most asinine ruling you've ever come up with, and you being like, "I disagree." <laughs> I just, I, I really wanted you to, I really wanted you to come through there. And, I, and in my heart, as I saw you stumbling out of the bathroom, I knew you would. <laughs> drunk. I, like, drunk. I, I do drunk. my, I do drunk my drinking in the bathroom. <laughs> it's got a bottle of gin. Uh, There's a bottle of Fireball stash in the, to- in the basin of the toilet. <laughs> like the gun and Godfather like one. Yeah. Godfather, yeah. Feeling around back there. <laughs> I, I love keep- that it's Fireball. It's perfect. <laughs> Keeps it cool. It's a smart place to keep your fireball. <laughs> Not to mention, thin mints are kind of gross. Thin mints are the best cookies. <sighs> I mean, I listen. I don't begrudge you your dislike of some your your enjoyment of Samoas. Mm. I just don't care for coconut. So there's it's that I have that obstacle. It's like Nick Lowe and pickles. Yeah. What's wrong oh, with yeah. coconut? Coconut's so delicious. The only thing that makes coconut better is chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, Troy. Right here, live. I don't. Th- I haven't had a Samoa since I was a child. <gasps> oh, oh my god! Sh- I'll have one of your Samoas. I'm also breaking my my no sugar, my no processed sugar. Wait a minute, do it. Wait a minute. He hasn't paid for them yet. Oh. I'm not sure I need them open. And just, just, <laughs> all right, I'll and out. I told you, my wife handles the cookie money. <laughs> he's, all right, he's buying Girl Scout cookies off you on credit. <laughs> I feel like this is a long con just to get a free cookie, but I'm new. <laughs> I Dude, if that's what it's it is, it should be rewarded. If that's so, if that's, that's so, like, that's brilliant. I don't right, care you just have to cookies. tip your cap. You know what, Troy? I don't <laughs> remember what thin mints taste like. Could you send over a few of those thin mints? <laughs> Right, so your theory here is that I'm going to reveal after eating this that Samoas are my favorite after all. You've grown so much. There's a part of me that hopes that, but I I just want you to enjoy it. I want you holding it now. All right, holding it in his hand, holding it up. It's not like biting into a coconut. It just the coconut gives you a little (laughs) extra John. That's it's not the shell of the coconut. It's my problem. (laughs) Biting into a hairy, hard coconut. What do you think coconut is? He just bit into it. He just broke a tooth on the outside of the (laughs) coconut shell. He's bleeding. He's bleeding. Oh my god. ASMR. Hmm. Immediate reaction. If you like coconut, this would be the best cookie ever. Why do you have to, why do you have to say it like that? Because <laughs> the, oh, the first thing I taste is coconut. I mm. wonder if they could make one a Samoa, a coconutless Samoa, and it would just be crispity, crunchity, deliciousy. I'd be think, so there. I think you'd be there. Just a Moa. Just a moa. Part of it is just like, I just love the coconut oil. It's just so rich. Yeah. Even if you don't have the coconut flavor, just that like oil. Just I love the texture of it. It's mm-hmm. so totally guys like uh, coconut water? Yes. That's different, Matthew. I don't, I don't care for it. Really? If you ever go to Hawaii or any other place that will serve you like a coconut that just fell off a tree, they'll be like, coconut water is so pure. You can do blood transfusions with it if you don't have any blood. And it's total bullshit. I, I think it's delicious, and it's it's uh, just as hydrating, if not more so, than water. And there's this one brand that they sell at the health food stores. It's like organic coconut water. It comes in a white bottle with a green coconut on it. And uh, it's pink. The water is pink. Because if you leave coconut mm-hmm. water, like pure coconut water out, it eventually turns pink. And it is the most delicious shit 
out there. I want to get it by the case. I think it tastes totally different than the actual pulp that's in a Samoa cookie. Though I think Matthew might like coconut water distinct from from the Samoas. What say you, Matthew? Uh, the, I haven't had pink coconut water before. Okay. It's not like drinking a, a, a coconut smoothie. It's just, it's water that... I mean, listen, I'll try anything. I just, I ate that. I, the cookie is outstanding. Yeah, I couldn't help but okay. notice that cookie you hated. The you cookie ate itself. the whole thing <laughs> yeah. after the first bite. Well, I ate it in two bites and I was trying to give it another chance. The, <laughs> the cookie itself is phenomenal. Okay. The caramel... Delicious chocolate, always there for careful now. Always there for chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I, just get, thin ice, I just get to the coconut ice, can't get past it. Oh, oh, we got an email. Thanks, Joe's computer. It's been it's been seven years of us pretending to be friends, and Joe still hasn't figured out how to turn off the window sounds on his computers. It's incredible. It's amazing. The system sounds are uh, there. It is completely and purely random. It's the most truly random. Do you have a thing that I've ever in your seen. volume mixer? Yes. Well, no, no, I no, didn't. no. Okay. okay but what I'm saying answer. is random. Is I muted in my mixer, and eight out of ten times, I would say, when I turn on the computer, it's muted. I'm muted. Yeah, it's, it's muted. And then every once in a while, when I don't check it, it just it's uh, it unmutes itself. I'm like why? Wow. Sorry. Well, it ended that coconut discussion. It did. It wheeled out. Uh, a weird, literally a weird but familiar note <laughs> a frustratingly familiar note yes i thought that was going to be the moment when we all came together but uh instead it drove us further apart i, I don't think i know too many people who would say i would huh i i, I I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to say this i think that if you ranked all girl scout cookies the highest on average would most likely be thin mints. I think that they would be like the highest average picked cookie, but I don't know almost anyone that says they're their singular favorite cookie because I, they're just so they're just a plain. Brill, they're a brilliant creation. I, I know. Yeah. I know a lot of thin mint. Number one people. I number think, one I think it was unusual to be in a room with four other adults that love Samoa's number one. That I, was what was so exciting. Yeah, I just figured I'd be in. I'm always feel like I'm in a room of thin mint people. Really, as and I'm like, why don't you just like leave the the toothpaste open, let it drool (laughs) out over your sink, and then leave it overnight, scrape it up. There you go. You got your homemade thin mints. Thin thin mints are the number one selling cookie. That said, we Kate and I were once. We once went down the same rabbit hole and we were like, I wonder how people rank these cookies. Like we, and yeah. we assumed every list we found, we found would have Thin Mints as number one. And we found one with Samoa's number one. And we were like, what? Blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> Blasphemy against the Thin Mint. They're, they're also <laughs> rise mint lovers. <laughs> they're also known as uh, caramel delights in other parts of the country. That's, we got to we got to we got to think of the whole area. That's how I knew them growing up. And you say that and you said caramel incorrectly. So we have both now because my nieces sell <laughs> Thanks, caramel Matthew. delights and I sell I sell my daughter sells Samoas. So now we have both boxes. Well, the boxes are different shapes, different sizes. My all right. So then I start digging in. The cookies are different size, oh, slightly different. Really? This is an entirely different recipe. I bite into it. It is a different cookie. What? Worse? Better? The Worse, same? I think. Less coconut. Huh? It's a Matthew oh, type. Oh. Wait, the Caramel Delight has less coconut? Yeah. It's, oh. it, it, it feels to That's me like it's a little less coconutty. Uh, and a little bit more easing toward the other flavors of the, of the Samoa. I can't believe that they're doing this shrinkflation, slowly changing the size of the cookie over time. Shrinkflation. <laughs> so you don't know what's there. Now I want a cookie. <laughs> well, you have an open box right next I to know. you. I, I, you guys I was, talk. 
I was all, I was really debating that. I'm, I'm sorry I broke my uh, broke my my fast because I made up. It's, I'm going to pull back the curtain a little bit if I might. Here we go. It's pie day today. Oh, the day oh we're, they were recording this. Oh, it's pie day. So last night I made my first ever pie with, really? uh, with Caitlin's uh, very uh, Caitlin and Mira's supervision. Did you oh, okay. make the crust? Yes. Wow. I made, but I I made my fa- my, my 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 one of my favorite pies. Coconut pie? Nope. <laughs> Surprisingly <laughs> not. <laughs> the Aquilon pie. Oh, oh Aquilon pie! So it was, it was only a pie. graham cracker crust, but I did make it. From, That's amazing. You made great. it from scratch. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, I didn't make the graham crackers. Yeah. Those I were you grow to... the wheat yourself and mill the sugar. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> were you able to track down actual key limes? Or no. You... I looked. Yes. Did you close your eyes and think that Ernest Hemingway was sitting right next to you while you <laughs> took a bite? That could have gotten way darker. <laughs> <laughs> Massaging your shoulders yeah. while you're hanging. Yeah, Ernie! Grabbing, <laughs> grabbing the shotgun. Uh, <laughs> uh, Eat it. I haven't, so I haven't hit, I have to let it. <laughs> You have to let it sit in the refrigerator, so I haven't tried it yet. So today on Pie Day was going to be the first time I ever ate a pie of my own. You don't have to coerce Matthew at gunpoint unless it's coconut, Troy. Why is the ghost of Ernest Hemingway pointing a shotgun? I like you. I'll tell you a story in four words. (laughs) (laughs) Eat the cookie, asshole. See, a better ending to that story. <laughs> That's really funny. Scott. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I think a better ending to that story, Matthew, would have been like, and here is Here's that pie, pie, everyone. From yeah. Enjoy. Skid once brought in uh, half a dozen pies from a pie stand in yeah, the Yeah, true. Yeah, this uh, Centerville Pie Company up in Centerville, Massachusetts. The, the official pie company of yep. the Glass Cannon Podcast. Yes, yeah. uh, of Oprah Winfrey and of the Glass Cannon Podcast. I could maybe finish it off by uh, adding a, an, a, a graham cracker crust related story. Oh, Ooh. please. Oh. Tangential, tangential graham John. So <laughs> I'm ghost pepper related. No, there are no content. ghost peppers at this. Time. I gotta, people keep asking that for, for that story. I can't tell again soon. Anyway, uh, the traditional graham cracker crust pie that you can just go buy. There's that. But uh, over Christmas, I was making one of my favorites. We call them Santa snacks. It's basically like a, uh, what do you call them? Seven layer, not dip, seven layer cookie, whatever. It's Ativan on a Ritz cracker. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is. It is, it is a, to get all those kids that single night. <laughs> it is a spectacular fucking cookie. And it's basically a graham cracker crust with chocolate chips, coconut, caramel, a little bit of, uh, of, uh, sweet condensed milk what's that is it a milk bar thing yeah it's like a bar it's delicious so i i wanted to make that and you i go to the supermarket what you're asking that's, that's okay <laughs> what milk bar it's a it's a the momofuku milk bar here in new york he doesn't know what that is it's i don't know what that is <laughs> you never, they're great oh my god I, yeah you just treat yourself you should i get caitlin the birthday cake now every year for it's amazing yeah, yeah. momofuku yeah. they're all the place. best best cookies and I've you gotta had. then you gotta go wash that down with a little fuku fried chicken sandwich Keep there it in the go. family. He's got a whole chain of just delicious stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Sorry. The ramen is amazing. Yeah. Ramen is great, too. Yeah. Anyway, I go to the supermarket and my <laughs> wife has on the list graham cracker cr- crumbs. So not like a crust, but the crumbs to make your own because you got to shape it yourself. It's not mm-hmm. just a pie crust. And I'm in the baking aisle and I'm looking all over the place and I don't see this shit anywhere. And I'm like, uh, maybe it's in another aisle. I don't know. I, th- I figure it would be here. This old woman walks by. 
and she's looking and doing her thing. And then she sees me just standing there looking around and she's like, what are you looking for, honey? And I'm like, I'm looking for graham cracker crumbs to, to, you know, to make graham cracker crust. And she's like, just buy a crust. Yeah. And I said, hey, it's not for a pie. It's this cookie thing. And she just stops and looks at me. And I'm telling you, the disdain was palpable. It was just like, just crush up graham crackers. Yeah. <laughs> and she just walked away. And I felt so small and so stupid. Right. And also kind of embarrassed, like I can't even do my own work. Like I like, why didn't anybody crush my graham crackers for me? Like, I have money. You know? It's just like, <laughs> like you can't bother to take the time at Christmas to crush your own graham crackers. <laughs> Someone to do that for you too, yuppie. Like I, I just, I felt like such a piece of shit. Do they sell them pre-crushed? Aaron's really seemed to think so. And then I got home and I was like, I don't think this exists. This thing that you put on the list. She's like, I think wow. it does. I think I've seen it before. It literally, most bags, if you open them up, they're already crushed. Yeah, they're usually like, crushed anyway. You don't have to do that much work. Yeah, you can buy the crumbs. Really? You can. Wow. Boy, Honey made realized that oh. they were sitting on a gold mine. They're like, here's what we're going to do. Take all the rejects and just bag them. Right. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then sell them as graham cracker and crumbs. sell them to the They're to like, the break, out the break out the dustpan. Break out the dustpan. Look at that. You probably get less, less graham crackers than what you get in the bag. And... Uh, <laughs> It's more expensive. <laughs> Guaranteed. I understand. Like, I hate like chopping onions and garlic and stuff. So I would do that, like pre-chop. But like a pre-crushed graham cracker just seems. You just do this. Yeah, just that's, a, right. that's exactly what she said. Like she was like, you just smash oh. a graham cracker. Yeah. Pro tip: If you're making a key lime pie, that Caitlin taught me last. Oh, night. here comes the expert. It's not, I'm, <laughs> here comes the pie. Make one pie. One pie. You guys want a pro tip from a pro? He knows his, his stuff. Just oh, get out the food processor. You crush your crumbs, and then you add your melted butter. You make the you make the you make the mixture. All right, oh. King Richard, with your food processor. <laughs> In all my know. minutes of pie making, <laughs> let me throw out a pro tip for you. In all my minutes, <laughs> storied minutes of pie making. Which King Richard am I? That had a the one with the food processor, Matthew. <laughs> Read a book sometime. Am I King Richard the Lionheart? Corleone? <laughs> I guess Serena and Venus Williams' father. <laughs> exactly. Famous, I, I famous bet, lazy pie maker. I bet he actually does have a food processor, though, so that actually would be He true. probably does now. Wait, Serena Williams' dad or King Richard? No, there was a, there was a member. <laughs> I've lost Serena. track. There Where are was, we? There what were was, we talking about? There was court jester, and then there was a guy named Bart who was the court food processor, and he would just do it by hand. So he owned like a human at the time, that King Richard. It Bart, was an, an appliance. Bart, Bart. The, Bart the food processor. <laughs> Sing me the ballad of Bart. The food processor, part of the lion. I'm just trying to think if the Williams sisters grew up having to crush their own graham crackers now. That's he, where I he am. He probably That's made them do it. Yeah, it's like That's a true. Have you seen the movie? Out in the backyard. It's the yeah. whole first act. It's just crushing graham crackers. <laughs> just them crushing. Before you hit the... a ball, you must learn you to crush, crush graham, graham crackers. crackers. That's yeah. how they crush those serves. It's like a crushing <laughs> thing. Yeah. It's yeah, they, all the secret to their serve. <laughs> they just throw a graham cracker up? Yeah, just hold it. Oh, <laughs> Dad, why we use a ball? You're not ready yet. <laughs> Mother's making a pie. Stop asking stupid questions. Oh my god! <laughs> and, then the, and then the first act break. They take that first ball and just crush a hundred mile per hour, sir. And he's just sitting in the crowd, nodding. <laughs> oh god. 
<laughs> Can't we just do this for an hour? Uh, no, we should talk about uh, the elephant in the room from last week's episode. Thank uh, you for the Samoa, by the way. You're welcome. I, w- I expect one back next week. Uh, <laughs> and don't you be giving me a thin mint. Would you care for a thin mint? Get out of here! <laughs> Put it in the freezer. I'll eat it. Uh, I've been thinking about this all week and nervous about it because of the implications. Um... Obviously, when Umlo was uh, murdered or or, or remurdered, uh, <laughs> remurdered, Nestor <laughs> left with the hand, and when Nestor came back, no one ever really brought it up. You know, and it's funny because I noticed that the f- the listeners noticed, but you guys just it it, it, it kind of. With so many things going on in the campaign, it maybe is something you thought about, but you just never brought it up. There was so much else going on with Nestor's return. Um, and so Skid and I had talked about it a couple times, and uh, but never, I never really asked him, like, hey, where did that go again? Like, he told me a couple of things where it may have went and whatnot. But when that happened at the end of last week, it just... It really felt like we're at a TV series that is coming to an end with all these old things coming back. Um, so I want to just jump right in to this situation here because this is um, this is complicated on a number of levels because this is obviously an ancient dwarven hero. Um, Nestor is uh, evil and a complicated, complicated character. And he's now done this in order to wield uh, a better weapon there's still blood all over his wrist where this thing is like just fusing to his hand there's blood all over the plate of Nalbur that he used as the chopping board and Metra, Sir Will and Baron are just standing by watching what do you do? cast maze on Nestor <laughs> Smite evil. <laughs> Fuck. He's. Uh, I'm just like, I'm like grabbing my hand by the wrist and just like flexing it, like Luke Skywalker just after getting his his prosthetic. You know, yeah. It's tap. Ow. Ow. <laughs> it's just, uh, and you can hear like the crink of the metal as like like creaks like open and shut with his fist. It's like. Ooh, I will admit that stung a bit, but uh, yeah, it was a long time coming. I think, I think, I think it should pay off in the long run, eh? Why now? You've had it since you did what you did. You already faced the judgment of the gods. For your past deeds but this was one loose thread that never got tied up why now mm, just saving it you know so close to the end I just uh, I don't want this bastard to get away why didn't you uh tried on earlier you're not one to shy away from power were you scared scared of mangling up your own hand like that looks at the discarded hand next to him maybe still twitching with like a little bit of a pulse right by his foot 
Uh, Gross. <laughs> he looks him in the eyes and says, Do I look frightened to you? No. You look a little crazy, though. <laughs> well, maybe it's going to take a bit of madness to finish the job. You might be grateful for it. You might all thank me in the end. Old Nessa do what not everyone's always willing to do. We need to go that extra mile to make sure the job gets done. That's why you put up with me, isn't it? Because I'll do what your your little uh, outdated moralities won't allow you. I don't feel limited at all, Nesta. I feel as if I could take on anything with the power of Iomaday behind me. I look at that hand, and I see something that was once wielded with honor. I wonder if it may have more of an effect on you than you have on it. Well, I appreciate your concern, and I'm glad you don't feel limited, despite your size and everything else that's obvious. And we need that too. Like it takes all kinds. I'm going to need a bit of diversity in this group to be able to take care of business in the end. And that's... Uh, I'm just here. I'm just filling a role. Is this... fun for you, Nesta? You laugh. Yeah. Yeah, it is a bit. I feel stronger, actually. I didn't think that would happen. I knew it would allow me to hold this thing that kicks up the gigantic bow at his feet kicks it up into his into his hand and says would oh, you feel that look at that like it was nothing this must look more like an English longbow a traditional English longbow like size like almost your or height like a samurai right? yeah like yeah. He, he can't even like you'd have to do it like sideways he can't yeah. does the steel hand pull back the string or hold the or hold the bow um, I yeah, which hand did you use? <laughs> I, I was thinking right hand, so... So it would be the one that pulled back the string, right? If uh, you're right handed. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Because that's, um, that's what would take the strength of the bow. Yeah. Hmm. Metroid is uh, quietly spellcrafting the hand, because she's never seen it before. Oh, you've never seen it before! <laughs> no idea what it, what it is or what it does. She has no idea where it came from. God, talk about... I mean, that was so long ago beginning of book two going into Nargrim's tomb where Ingrahild died and Umlo decided to stay uh Nargrim's steel hand uh is a uh, mag- magically animated prosthetic hand sculpted down to the finest detail forged from solid steel um can't be worn in addition to a hand, so you have to chop off your hand to use it. Um, and once the hand is bonded to the wearer's wrist, the wearer gains full control over the hand as if it were a part of their own body. Full range of motion, normal hand. While worn, Nargrim's steel hand grants its wearer a plus two enhancement bonus to strength, a plus five bonus to CMD against disarm attempts. In addition, the wearer can wield weapons of one size category larger than the wearer's size without penalty and without altering the weapon's designation as a light one-handed or two-handed weapon. 
For example, a medium creature wearing Nargrim's steel hand could wield a large long spear as a two-handed weapon without penalty. However, whenever the wearer of the hand is within, is within line of sight of a creature with the giant subtype, he must succeed as a DC 15 will save or be compelled to attack the giant as suggestion. Oh, I forgot about that part. Once, I did too. Once bonded to a wearer, Nargrim's steel hand cannot be removed except by the wearer or after the wearer's death. So where this is a gargantuan weapon, he still takes a penalty. And Skid and I were talking about this before we were recording because he can wield a a large weapon, uh, no problem. But then huge, gargantuan. Anyways, we've done all the calculations on Hero Lab, um, and I think it's... The, the the main thing he's getting from it is the strength bonus and the damage dice is different. Yeah. So what type of damage are you doing now? So now, so it's a net minus one to hit for me based on with with its bonus and and the loss for the size um, mitigated by the hand. But where where whereas before I was doing one d eight plus one d six damage, now I'm doing forty six damage. Plus, nice. plus my bonus. That's a that's an upgrade. So it's a, it's a solid upgrade. I think back to the moment we had to decide who was going to take the hand, and there was a great deal of kind of no one really wanting to step into it. And I was thinking there was reasons, both metagaming, gaming, and character wise, why I didn't take it and why Baron didn't take it, which was kind of the natural fit within the party as a dwarven kind of person looking up. I talked a lot about wanting a tomb like that one day or wanting to be remembered like that one day. And at the time, from a like meta commentary standpoint, everyone was giving me shit all the time about going in on every item roll, getting all the best items, all of that. So I was discouraged from that standpoint. Um, looking back on it now as Baron, I think Baron liked the idea of Umlo taking it because it seemed like something that could make the weakest person adventuring with us stronger. Mm-hmm. And I think he still feels that way. He also doesn't like... I don't know if he knew this at the time of taking it, but the idea of being compelled to attack a giant and not being able to make his own decision as like a lawman, as someone who always needs to mete out justice without being compelled either way is another reason. Um, but he's thinking about Umlo and how that hand made him even weaker. And Baron's thinking, I didn't need that hand. Um, I was already strong enough. And he has this worldview where it's like to keep people who are pure of heart and wanting to do the right thing, adventuring down this path. And he sees Nestor, who is strong enough on his own in a lot of ways, but still just like never having enough power. Like he sees the same thing that maybe is in the giant's mind, like mirrored here. And it's part of why Nestor is kind of the perfect... It's immovable force, unstoppable uh, object, uh, or however you say that, uh, kind of thing with the final battle of Nestor versus whoever we're seeing. So. Yeah, and I, I don't, like Nestor, he, he's the kind of guy that just, he wants to leave, when it comes to killing, he wants to leave as little chance as he possibly can. And now, as we're approaching what he suspects is the final battle against his ultimate foe, like the guy he's been chasing for... Uh, a while now, Titarian, that he just wants to use every single advantage that he has at his disposal for, the, for that final fight. Your characterization of not leaving anything to chance, I think, is uh, degrees of 
profundity above what is on the surface level because your archetype is Zarni Executioner, right? Mm -hmm. Executioners, when they are executing, leave nothing to chance, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're 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 there and they're dueling, uh, doing a service against like a helpless person. And so it's almost like the more helpless your prey is, do you think that that changes like Nestor's satisfaction of a kill or just he feels like he's more powerful and deft and capable the more powerful he gets? No, I think he just loves he just loves taking lives. Like he <laughs> he just loves taking life away from other people and things. And anything that lets him do that more effectively, more efficiently. At least, especially now, like towards the end, like he was, he was like not really. It wasn't. He didn't think it was worth like mutilating himself. You know, this is sense of self perfection that he wouldn't. He wouldn't have do it. But like now, it's the the one kind of drive, like sort of outweighed the other as we get closer to the end. So I always wondered. And that was my one reservation, Joe, when you decided to have Lork leave. Because I always, as I read ahead, I knew, I was like, this would be perfect for Lork. Do you think he would have taken it had he stayed? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he would have died with it on. And it would have been on to the next person. Because he just, he could not be, he could not be rebuilt for proper, I mean, it's so hard. You have to be Jimmer from the start, from the jump, to be built to just like stand and bang with giants. Orphos um, would have been awesome with that too. So would you. Yeah, Orphos would have been Orphos awesome. Orphos and Jimmer would both be great. Yeah. Orphos was tanky enough to stand toe-to-toe with Blood giants. Rager, yeah. He, he needs magic in order to do it and would be exhausted at a certain point, but mm. yeah. It's really, and I think that was the other thing that stopped us all from it, is it was a melee-based kind of advantage for the most part, outside of being able to wield giant weapons. And I think everyone was like, I didn't want to take it because I was like, I don't think this will benefit me as much as the person who can use a spear or a sword or something. Well, I just didn't want to cut my hand off, but I... It would have been great on Sir Will. It still would be great on Sir Will. And I I thought about it at the time, and I said it at the time. I made an impassioned speech because narratively, I thought Umlo, the dwarf, should take it and join us. That's why I made that speech. And I said, if memory serves, like, and if you don't do it, I'll do it. Like, I'll cut my arm off right now and do it. Because having a full-size spear as part of these charges, or lance, uh, would work really well. He's always been a melee character, really, you know. Yeah, and the villain you fought in there, his name is escaping me, trivia question. Uh, Lockmore Edergun. That's right. Lockmore Edergun. Nice. 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 Bottle cap. He wielded a spear. (laughs) Uh, A large large spear. So the perfect, like, if you kill him, you got a better weapon. That's what Umlo was using, yeah. 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 Oh, Umlo. Remember those days? What, who wasn't wants to play Umlo today? Wasn't the spear magical too? Lork used it too. A uh, heart, heart. Oh yeah, heart. Yeah. Heart, 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 heart spit. Yeah, it had heart spit. Extra damage. Heart spit. Yeah. Heart spit. Oh my god, the old days. Just play it with heart spit. Something like that. Yeah. I forgot about the the will save though. Maybe it's low enough now that Nestor's not really going to be bothered by it. But I mean, also like, what giant is he going to be like? No, I'm not going to attack this. Yeah, that's inside. He's not. It doesn't bother me because I'm never going to suffer another giant to live as long as I live. Don't let him back to. What happens if you're confronted with four giants? Do you roll a will save against each of them? 
and then you have to attack when you fail, or can you just at that point <laughs> oh. just like I'm going to attack all four? That's, That's interesting. interesting, right? I, yeah, what's more I interesting is like if it's a giant along with other things, and you fail, you can only attack the giant. Right. But yeah, multiple giants. I'm not sure. And then do you attack the one that you have the lowest will save against? It would fail multiple. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, is it set four separate will saves for each giant? Um, we'll see how it plays out. Well, so Lockmore Ettergun's story, though, was that he went into that tomb and, like, tried to get the hand for himself but got trapped. Why was he down there? Like, I'm trying to think of the... the didn't he fight? Didn't he steal he betrayed, it? He betrayed. He betrayed Nargrim's steel hand. And they locked him in there as a punishment to yeah. die. And he, uh, something happened to him more like... He, was he like a lich or something? No, anyway. I can't remember exactly what happened to him, but uh, he star- he stabbed Nargrim in the back. Right. When we saw the, we saw the tapestry or the, uh, the bas-relief of kind of the betrayal. Right. And he basically, he claimed that, that he killed the giant. And that, yeah, I remember that, that killed oh, Nargrim, yeah. but it was he, him that actually. So he was heralded as a hero, but uh, then his crime was found out, and so they buried him alive with with Nargrim. And sure. something happened in the tomb that gave him this power. An undead. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Oh, Matthew found a picture of him. Oh, yeah. Torag. <laughs> uh, uh, Lockmore's punishment done on there for his brutal acts of blasphemy and murder so offended Torag that the god of the forge cursed Lockmore with immortality, condemning him to eternal imprisonment in Nargrim's tomb. So it was Torag himself. So this isn't written in there in the text of Nargrim Steelhand, but Torag watches this kind of sacred relic. Yes! And Torag is probably squirming in the forge father right now, seeing it go <laughs> on to, to, to Nestor, but at the same time, the plans of the gods are inscrutable and difficult to ascertain at any time. So who knows if it's the right or the wrong decision now? Right. That's what I love about it. Yeah. I also, uh, just thinking about Nestor's sense of self-perfection and not wanting to mar his form, that it, I reminds me of Nick Lowe's old boss. I think I've told, I think I've told this story before, but Nick Lowe's old boss, we were, one of his old editors was that, we used to go to his house to like, um, he had a pool, uh, so we go over there in the summers <laughs> in Jersey. And, um, but he showed, he had this amazing collection. First of all, he has this incredible collection of comics in his basement. You know, this is like tons of stuff, but he also had a bunch of art. And one of them was an original g- giant sketch of Victor Von Doom that Jack Kirby had done for him. <laughs> And it was a picture of Victor Von Doom with his mask off, uh, like holding it in his hand. And I think, like, when you think of, like, what Victor Von Doom looks like under the mask, everyone thinks, like, Darth Vader is just, like, burned, you know, beyond recognition, like, really gruesome. But in Jack Kirby's interpretation, he just has a single scar, like, under his eye. And I was just like, what is that? Like, I've never seen him that way. And he's like, well, Jack Kirby's mind that one tiny imperfection was enough for him to want to hide his face away from the world forever. And like, that's kind of like how I see Nestor too. But like at this point, the, the desire to enact revenge outweighs that, that need to preserve his, his, his body like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you see in that picture of Lockmore what it must look like, like the way it fuses, like the steel and the skin just start to flow together uh, in a way where it's imperceptible, where uh, the uh, end of your wrist used to be. Well, you have taken down yet another one of Volstice's generals. Sounds from uh, Nalbia's parting words uh, that Nalbur and Volstice uh, were at odds at one point, and Volstice won that battle and cowed Nalbur into joining him. Who knows if there was still enmity there between the two of them. But Nalbur is now defeated. One more victim of the murderous True Now Four. <laughs> it is a long body count. It's a long body count. So many people. Seven years of straight killing. <laughs> Some innocents. Uh, uh, I just want to say that yeah. Sir Will uh, internally is, he's thinking about uh, his time with Adriel during this, uh, you know, a dwarf that was unlike any he had met before and who had seemingly such a long view of things, which Sir Will had been for such a, a large part of his life, like so, such a short view, right? An immediate view. Um, become a hero now. Do something wonderful now. Do something great now. Uh, and Adriel had this way of, of uh, seeing, having prophecy, right? Like the long terms. And he's seeing this hand get fused on. And of course, he, he pictures Umlo and how much he cared for Umlo. And he's dealt with all those emotions with Nestor and Umlo. And obviously, he's been adventuring with Nestor for a while. So it doesn't change that too much. But he's thinking now, which is why he's asking, like, are, are you having fun? Do you, do you like this? Because he's, he's like assuming that we're going to defeat Volstis. And then he's like, but then what comes after that? And if it's Baron and Nestor duking something out, whatever it is, uh, and even if it's not that, Nestor's going to have this hand on him forever. And he doesn't think he realizes, like, Nestor doesn't think Nestor realizes that. Uh, how is this going to change his life forever, this, like, one moment? And he's just thinking, like, every choice you make matters. It matters in the long term. Uh, and it's just something that he, he picked up from Adriel, you know? I think it's, it makes me think of Mickey Mantle, strangely, because Mickey Mantle, famous baseball player, for those who don't know, uh, was he's a famous baseball player, Matthew. <laughs> Matthew's a huge baseball fan. <laughs> baseball is the sport I can actually he, still converse with you on. Right, <laughs> he somewhat. knows baseball. So, but he grew. He came from a line, basically, of, of men like in uh, Oklahoma who died very young. Like they died, they all died in their fifties. And so he always lived his life assuming that he would die really early too. So it's just like he just caroused and drank a lot like ruined his liver and all this stuff because he never expected to live very long and i think that's kind of how nestor sees things too mm. almost like roy batty too you know mm. it's like the candle burning so so bright and but not very long that's kind of how mm. he sees his life too he just knows that it's it's the odds are like it's a limited proposition so he 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 knows that this can't be undone, but he figures it's not going to be for long either way. Hmm. I remember dating a woman once, and I really liked her. 
I was a mess, but this was like really good. Was. Was a mess. Was. Did you catch the was, I was there? A, I was a mess at the All time. better now. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't All know fixed. I, <laughs> All fixed. Luckily, I'm, I'm 100% now. Uh, <laughs> but she, she I thought things were great, and uh, I didn't know what I wanted out of it, but I remember she said, like, uh, our relationship is like a candle that burns too fast. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, so you think this is going to end at some point? And she's like, I never thought, I hadn't considered that. Uh, I also hadn't considered we'd be together forever. But when you said that, it like immediately changed the way that I thought of her and thought of the relationship. Hmm. A self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. They call that. When she said it, I was like, oh, oh, so that's how you see this. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And then I killed her. (laughs) <laughs> with this music it's like sure. and I bury her in Riverside Park it's <laughs> a nice spot yes every year I leave a candle <laughs> and I watch it burn and I say does it burn too fast now I was just picturing that I was picturing the end of that conversation being her, her saying we're like a candle that burns too fast and you saying you think this isn't going to last forever? And her being like, dear God, no. <laughs> and just like laughing in your face. <laughs> Gosh, from the expression in your face, I think it's going to end tonight. <laughs> Why don't we take a walk through Riverside Park? <laughs> it's lovely this time of night. It's 3.30 in January. 3.30 a.m. Let me just stop at this candle maker's shop. <laughs> <laughs> they use human tallow. <laughs> What's a candle maker called? What's we learned that we learned this inside. I know I wanted stash. to use that word and I can't remember. Talowarian, Talowarian, and I would say too, just to wrap up Sir Will's thoughts, that Baron feels a similar bit of disgust, but he's just bottling it up deeper and uh, has kind of already made the self bargain with himself of like this is. This is the power of Nestor. This is the power we need to finish this fight. We're in a epping flying castle yeah. that could rain down terror and destroy like any city in the world. And that oh. is his main goal is to stop that. And the next steps after that, um, Sir Will are worried about are just being put to the side and buried. Oh, I forget about that. You know, as we near the end of this series, I'm thinking about, oh, I got to play in this. I got to play in this. What's going to happen to this? That? Then I think about like, say you win. And Baron and Nestor survives. How do you just say, all right, have a nice life? Is that how it's going to be? Or is the prophecies, or not prophecies, but the words that you guys shared in the arena there uh, at True Now going to be like, only one of you is going to walk away from the. I'm glad I don't have to. Yeah, worry we'll about see. <laughs> that's, that's, that's again, that's like something so far in the future. There's so many. It's not that far. I mean, as far as, far as like. So many different things could happen that wouldn't that would negate like having to make right. that choice. So yeah, it might um, not be that far in the future, but it's like how far in the future, you know, when like from now to the end of my life. Like that seems you know <laughs> right exactly when you're dealing with such monstrous horrific battles day after day after day. It's like each day is like an eternity. It could yeah. be your, your whole life is the next twelve hours. Like yeah. Chandler, by Chandler. the way. Chandler. Chandler, yes. Chandler Bing. <laughs> Chris Chandler, former Colts and Atlanta Falcons quarterback. Chandler. That's a candle maker, if you lost that thread. <laughs> there was a Chandler in the wind. <laughs> lived alive like a... Uh, okay, so you guys feel good about this uh, situation here? Anything else you want to do in this 
area of the castle. All that that guy had on him was the plus four composite longbow, ring of animal friendship with charm animal, and two potions of cure serious. Is that mm-hmm. right? Was there anything else we didn't spell badge? Oh, wait. Uh, I see huge badge. magical. I see badge with. Did we fail? You failed the badge again. Okay. Yeah. So we we know the gargantuan magical. Uh, huge magical change shirt. Okay. That's all I have for my notes. Yeah. So. Oh. Here are your options. Uh, there is a staircase at the end of the uh, hallway here, which is where uh, Nalbia appeared before she once again uh, took off. That leads up to the area uh, directly above where this battle took place, which you know is like a half platform with poles leading down to the nests. Um, then there is also another turret uh all the way to the east. Like, you came up the stairs and went southwest to get to where the nests are. Had you gone directly east, there's another, another turret there. Beyond that, the only other options that you've discovered, uh, according to my notes here, are the room with the telescope and the, the exposed walkway leading uh, deeper into the castle. And the staircase leading up from where you defeated the fire giants in that throne room. I want to. Sh- I really want to check that out, but I also recognize it might be, might be a, situ- a, b- a big situation. Here's the thing: that's the case from here to the end. Everything's a big situation. A bit of a situation. Did Metra ever check? Or did anyone ever check the platform above us in this tower here? I don't think so. But you can fly right now, right? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, if, if that's if not, the Nestor, like, he's going to just kind of, like, after testing his hand with the bow, he's left-handed, by the way, um, and uh, he's going to just, just sort of, like, rise up above, above the floor and move out, like, to the furthest edge of the tower like where the opening into the open air is and then go up just so we can see what's if there's anything on that ledge above okay i'll take you to a new map new map time new map time for me and my mappy friends uh so you see this little half situation you know i did a polygon reveal here but you can see um down below as well as uh down the end where that spiral staircases that you could have easily walked up instead of showing off with your flying. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if there was just a guy standing up on the platform who just like one shot you yeah. after that whole after that, this whole episode of role playing about the steel hand. <laughs> and Nestor just, Nestor's dead body just falls in front of us. Yeah. It's like, it's like it falls out of the castle. Uh, so the the floor of this chamber is little more than a ledge that leaves half of the room open to the the rock stable below um there are uh, hooks that no longer have saddles on them a weapon weapon rack and you also see a padlock chest ooh do well, i indeed you sure do and there are those two steel poles extending down from the ledge to the room below okay Nestor is all right. He's going to do a perception check just this, for any hazards that uh, he doesn't see right now. 
Uh, perception. That is a 34, uh, 41 against traps. Yeah, you're, you're looking at the rack. There are four gargantuan spears, several gargantuan javelins, a few throwing rocks, and then other equipment and supplies needed for aerial riding. But you don't see any hazards or enemies. All right. Uh, I'm going to float over towards the padlock chest. Okay. Your hand weighing you down as you do. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the left. Uh, <laughs> it was the left hand or right hand? Uh, I think it's right. Yeah, right hand. And then he draws with the left. So. Okay, so it's the one that holds this gargantuan. So it's basically a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense because you'd want the dexterity for like the fletching, touching, arrowy yeah, thing. Yeah, want your natural sensations in your hand to be able to pick those out. Float over to the chest. See a big old padlock on it. All right, and I'm going to do another trap check. Okay. Uh, ooh, that is good. For traps, that is that is a... Oh, I'm sorry. This is 41 uh, regular perception, 48 traps. Uh, it doesn't appear to be trapped. Okay, I'm going to try to pick the lock. Good luck. Oh, man. This is going to be hard, I bet. What is my disabled device? I could disintegrate the lock for you. Oh, okay. Let me try my... What if you miss? Try my hand at this. Uh, (laughs) 45. (gasps) Yeah, Yeah. buddy! I mean, couldn't have a better person up there right now (laughs) doing this. And lift up the lid. Lift up the lid. Uh, You see a bag of assorted gems. Oh, um, 320 platinum pieces, 7,430 gold pieces. Wow. Wow. Damn. A compass. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and a heavy steel shield. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, he's going to pull them out in the sack. He can't carry all this stuff. He's going to pocket, like, a few of the gems and, um some coins but he's going to say say, look out below and he's going to kick the sack over down to the the ground below Darren's holding the bag of holding and just like (laughs) going back and forth laterally (laughs) catches it into the abyss that's inside of it Um, it hits the ground and you immediately detect magic I uh, dive into the bag of holding after all of it (laughs) (laughs) and return with the compass and the shield. (laughs) You come out with the compass and the shield. Give me a spellcraft check. Uh, Natural three. Ooh, Sir Will, Baron. I I can do it. I'll try. Uh, I probably don't know with my crappy spellcraft. uh, That is an 18. 18. Um, That is good enough. That is good enough. The compass is something known as a wind collar compass. This light gray compass made of fine metal uh, is engraved with various depictions of the sun, moon, and clouds. It allows a creature to increase or decrease the intensity of the wind four times per day. If, as if using alter winds. Ooh, that's very cool. The 
Um, is it a slot or is it uh, something you just hold? Uh, it, I think it's something you hold and activate, like standard action. Okay. Yeah, you pull it out. You have to pull it out and uh, use it. Uh, and then the shield is a medium plus one improved energy resistance fire heavy steel shield. Whoa. Oh. That's a shield for fighting dragons. Yeah. It's a dragon it fighting shield if ever I heard one. Uh, do you use a shield, Sir Will? Uh, I do. I do. I use a light steel shield. Um, mm, this would slow you down. But it's better. But it's know, is too it? big, right? It's too big for no, you. It's medium. It's he's, too he's big. Be small. There has never been oh. a small item written in any pre-written adventure in uh, in Pathfinder. Ever. So it's usually incumbent upon a GM to... Uh, Think about that! <laughs> ever! But that's all right. There just happens to be a small shield. Oh, that's amazing. Taped to the back of this. Oh. <laughs> with the you, exact wait, wait, wait. Properties. Do you turn it over? <laughs> did, did you do a perception no. check? <laughs> just knowing no one can use it, she just tosses it tosses off the Throws it out of the air. Throws it out of the castle. Oh, that would be <laughs> awesome, though, to have, like, I'm just picturing the fire resistance, like, while mounted, just up. And, just fire. like an extra magical aura on the outside that makes the flames tilt away from yeah. you a little bit. Oh, yeah. so cool. Yeah. Give me that steel hand! He goes after us. Yeah. Nestor. Nestor, you're standing there by the chest. You threw everything down. And down that long hallway leading to the staircase, you hear something. And emerging from the shadows of this long hallway, you hear a very familiar voice. It says, well, well, well. Look who we have here. Oh. And coming out of the darkness, you see your father, <laughs> Alistair Coyne. And he towers over you, just like he did when you were a child. And he has that same shit-eating grin on his face, like he did your whole life until you stabbed him to death. And he stares at you and he says, Coin by name, but not coin by nature, it appears. Got your fancy new hand there, I see. And no real coin would be leaving a trail of piss behind him around this whole castle. Even running scared from what I've seen. Then again, that's what you've been doing your whole life, haven't you? You walk around the world with your chest puffed out, acting like you're some holy knight immune to fear. But you're the most scared little boy in all of Galarian, ain't you? You were scared even when you put me down. I could see it, and that was my last memory. Before the lights went out. Look at you. You've been running your whole life. You got no friends. You got no family. You got no one who loves you. Why do you think that is, son? I'll tell you why. It's because you're afraid of letting anyone get close to you. Because if they do, 
they'll realize how worthless you really are. And now you're in a floating fucking castle, chasing down a giant, fighting someone else's battle. What say you, boy? Tight. It's true. It's true. I've never known a real friend. It's lonely. It's lonely, Dan. Sometimes I think I can't go on. But whenever I despair, whenever I feel like I can't go on, I reach back to the memory of plunging my dagger into your back over and over and over again. And it brings a smile to my face, a twinkle to my eye. You taught me. You taught me that I'm the only friend that I'll ever need, that I'll ever be able to count on. I was glad for that. It's one thing you, you did leave me. One gift you gave. That self-reliance. And for everything else that you gave me, I took your life. I think it's a fair exchange, don't you? Yeah. I guess you're right. I guess I was a shit father. It's too focused on doing my own thing to take care of you. Well, I'm glad I'm back to see you once more. So I can take care of you. Because Volstus sent me to take care of you. And you see this image of your father change into a brawny, large creature with its skin completely flayed from its body with violent pulsing muscles exposed and and it goes to attack. What? And we'll see you next week. What? That was an episode? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. That's that's some fucked up. Oh Oh, god. Messed up. (laughs) I love you, son. (laughs) Wow. You get to kill him twice. Yeah, I'm going to kill him again. (laughs) Daddy's so nice that I killed him twice. Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at patreon.com slash glasscannon. The Glass Cannon Podcast is a Glass Cannon Network production and is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Giant Slayer is copyright 2015. Giant Slayer and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.
Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.